Hello, and welcome to another episode of the KPMG podcast series for tax leaders. Numerous voices are predicting a further boom in transactions as we emerge from the COVID environment, with M&A likely to be a preferred strategic option as companies look to accelerate growth in the post-pandemic world. For today's episode, we took the opportunity to talk to a few of our KPMG M&A tax leaders to delve into the world of M&A, deals and transactions. We'll hear from Arco Verhulst, a seasoned M&A partner in the Dutch firm, and also globally heading up KPMG's efforts on M&A tax. Joining Arco is Howard Steinberg, our M&A tax leader for the Americas region, but also leading KPMG's efforts around restructuring. And Heidi Groger, one of our German M&A tax partners, and within KPMG globally, tasked with connecting tax advisory offerings from different service lines. Heidi will also bring a European perspective to our conversations today. Last but not least is Angus Wilson, who not only leads ASPAC's M&A tax group, but also heads up the overall Australian deal advisory practice, including M&A tax. Welcome everyone, and thanks for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. To start, I'd like to ask each of you to describe for me in, in one word how you'd characterise the current M&A environment in your region as we emerge from the COVID period. Arco, let's start with you. Hectic. Heidi? Very busy. Angus? Complex. And lastly, Howard? Strong. Arco, let's start this discussion by setting the stage a bit for the rest of the conversation and look at the big picture for M&A. How has COVID impacted the M&A markets? And what's your view on how M&A markets will develop as we come out from the COVID period? I think it's fair to say that the M&A markets have gone through a roller coaster the last year. Uh, in the first two quarters of 2020, we saw activity levels in M&A almost coming to a grinding stop, with the first quarter showing contraction about 65% of normal pre-COVID levels. But in Q2, activity was as a record low of 30% of these levels. Recovery in the markets, however, was quite quick and remarkable. Quarter three in 2020 was strong, but quarter four was really impressive with an explosion of M&A activity up to levels with 40-50% over pre-COVID levels, resulting in an all-time high quarter four with activity levels of 1.2 trillion of deals across the globe. Quarter 121 remained very strong with activity at 1 trillion. Uh, We're seeing very strong markets. Main reason for the current activity levels, record levels of dry powder at private equity funds, driven by continuously low interest rates, forcing investors to look for assets that generate higher returns. SPACs are also something that is causing significant levels of M&A activity. In quarter one, SPACs caused 15 to 20% of larger deals. TMT, so technology, media, and and telecommunication, continues to drive most of the activity. And last but not least, uh, several indicators point to a continuation of the current trend with low interest rates, that continue to be low, markets are becoming increasingly comfortable doing deals virtually without being able to visit uh, physical premises, etc. And Arco, how is all this playing out in the world of tax specifically? How has the rule of tax changed in M&A over the last few years, both for private equity and strategic buyers? And what's new in the M&A market that has specific tax dimensions? 
First of all, we've seen the use of warranty and indemnity insurance growing year by year over the past four years. And I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of the current larger deals are using WNI. What does it mean in a transaction for us as M&A tax? We need to proactively identify and address areas where WNI brokers start to take a more sophisticated view. So this could be scope of diligence. We need to balance how to be commercially smart, but also to be satisfactory to the demands of WNI brokers in, in transactions, definitely where it also relates to exclusion. Significant tax reforms, a second important development. We've not only seen proposals for significant tax reforms in largest jurisdictions, but we've also seen these proposals being transposed into actual legislation. Let's talk about U.S. tax reform as an example, but also tax reforms in Europe, such as ATAT, Anti-Tax Avoidance Directive, that is one and two, playing a very important role in a transactional environment. Let's say looking ahead in the future, OECD BEPS Pillar 1, Pillar 2, which starts to get some traction across the globe and the use of environmental taxes that appear to get more traction, more interest, more support from the U.S. principally is something that will play a role in the markets ahead of us and M&A tax more specifically. And then last but not least, in the government stimulus programs that have been put into the market when the COVID uh, pandemic started to materialize. And we've seen a lot of these government stimulus programs, Texas playing an important role. So not only in identifying the impact, the normalization of business results for these uh, government stimulus, but also how these will be unbound in the future is something that is very relevant for m and tax. Thanks, Arco. So let's hear from the regions on their perspectives on how these challenges are playing out for tax leaders in this environment. So, Angus, if we could start with you, are you seeing any major points of difference from the environment that Arco has described? No, I think Arco did a great summary of perhaps thematically what's happening across the Asia-Pacific region. What's interesting about the Asia-Pacific region is not only is it beautifully culturally different, but COVID and the economies in their own rights have had different speeds and continue to have different speeds. And so that adds a different and probably richer level of complexity to what we're facing in addition to the challenges that ARCO articulated. I think it's important for people to realise that tax reform doesn't necessarily always line up in relation to the sophistication of an economy or legislature in that economy. And so we do have a number of different speeds of tax reform across the Asia-Pacific region. So when I started the conversation today and I said complex. Complex is a good summary of where we're at in Asia-Pac. Thanks, Angus. Heidi, how would you characterise the situation in Europe? In Europe, I also couldn't agree more to what Arku said in his introduction. I think what we first expected more was a distressed M&A coming up as a kind of a trend after the wake of COVID. However, in fact, we have a very busy half year now behind us. And the trend was more from a lot of liquidity in the market, low interest rates, and also many opportunities in the market uh, by companies that divested of certain businesses 
and therefore provided new buying opportunities for private equity funds. And interestingly, these are trends coming from the digitization of businesses, which was a big trend last year in the context of COVID. And in this year, I think you could also realize that already many deals are related to the decarbonization trend and also environmental issues that need to be addressed by legislatures and also the EU Commission. So I think this also drives M&A projects in Europe. And Howard, I imagine there are some differences and complementary points in North America and the US as well. It's a unique situation now in the North American markets. Starting last year around this time, we've had a wave of distress of restructuring uh, across all industries, particularly uh, natural resource and retail. And parallel to that, we've now, over the past number of months, had a rebound in non-distressed M&A driven by the factors cited by uh, everyone else, the liquidity, monetary, fiscal policy. So we see kind of two universes playing out in the same time, the distressed as well as the non-distressed. We also have a, a change in administration in the U.S. and expectations for potentially dramatic changes to our tax system, tax policy, as well as regulatory changes. So we have a lot going on at one time. Arco mentioned earlier that we've heard about many organisations across the regions using warranty and indemnity insurance and increasing their pickup of this. Angus, can you tell us what you're seeing in your region? Yeah, absolutely. And in alignment with my earlier comments, it's not just the bigger deals. It tends to be driven by the sophistication of the investors. So W and I will tend to follow in our region the types of investors that you're dealing with. So you're more sophisticated or larger, more regular transactors will be more familiar with and keen to use and facilitate you know facilitate themselves finding WI insurance. And so I would say it's not only size that gives the need for us to think as professionals about when WI is going to be necessary and used, but it's also the sophistication of the clients involved. I do think, though, from a regional thematic, I, I think we're probably behind the other parts of the world in terms of its general acceptance. And as I said, it's just because of the diverse nature of where we sit. And Heidi, how are you seeing it play out in Europe? Yeah, you see that now very often in the deals. And I think before the COVID impact, I think you would rather wonder in what kind of deals you would see the W and I acquired in the course of the deal. Because typical sales by big, large corporates in Germany in the past, you had also seen in very many cases tax indemnities provided by the seller. But that changed very much already before COVID. And right now, it is still a trend. And I think the entire um, industry has professionalized here. And not only the insurances as such, but also buyers and sellers. And also very interesting in this is that insurances also required a much more thorough due diligence in this context. That means that if there wasn't thorough due diligence, they were not really happy to provide insurance coverages for many areas that haven't been due diligenced. And uh, therefore, it's also changed the way to look at the due diligence scope and the due diligence focus on a specific deal, which was very interesting to see. Thanks, Heidi. Howard, another topic that Arco mentioned was something called SPAC. And for those like me who don't know what that stands for, can you tell us what that is and how it's having an impact on the market? Sure. SPAC 
special purpose acquisition company is effectively a blank check company, publicly traded blank check company formed for the purpose of acquiring a privately held company. It's not a new vehicle. It's been around for a while, but in the past year, we've seen record cash raise for SPACs in the U.S. and record amount of SPAC deals being done across all industries. Uh, Participants in the SPACs have cited the efficiency of executing a transaction when compared to the traditional IPO process. So again, not a new vehicle, but record amount of activity in the past year. We now have hundreds of SPACs that need to deploy capital. There's a, a finite amount of time in which the transaction needs to be executed. That's one of the key pillars of the SPAC transaction. So I think more to come around the SPAC space in, in the US and, and globally. Arco, I've heard you speak previously about the demand for restructuring services being on the rise globally in this period. Why do you think that's the case? And where do you see the restructuring market moving into over the next 12 months? I think it's fair to say that over the past 12 months, we've seen a very much bifurcated restructuring market. On one hand, and Howard already referred to it, a very active restructuring market in the U.S., On the other hand, in the rest of the world, we've seen record low levels of restructuring. Some economists even refer to the state of economies in uh, various parts of the world as zombie economies. Because the level of government support that has been provided in a lot of countries has been just unparalleled. Also supporting the weaker less COVID resilient sectors. And what we've also seen is over the past few years that leverage levels with the current low interest rates have been gradually increasing, which reduces a company's ability to withstand any economic downturns. Also that will almost by definition cause a lot of restructuring activity going forward. And then finally, uh, what we've also seen in a number of jurisdictions is a more generous insolvency legislation uh, that has been introduced that allow for a protected way of restructuring companies. So also that is something that will have an impact on the restructuring market uh, going forward. Arco, you also mentioned in your intro, and and Heidi picked up on it as well, digitalisation and how technology is playing a role in M&A and the transaction space. How are you seeing this play out? Yes, we did not yet discuss in terms of, let's say, the M&A markets, a sector perspective. But if you were to dive into that, you you will have seen that the vast majority of transactions, I think it's even more than 30, 35 percent global activity has been in the technology, media, telecom markets. I think the whole COVID pandemic, the need to use technology, working from home, etc. has really accelerated the importance of technology and therefore fueled activity from an M&A perspective in the technology market. Angus, is that similar in the Asia-Pacific region as well? Yeah, I'd say that trend that Arco articulated is certainly prevalent. I think the numbers are slightly higher in our region in terms of the volume of deals by value that have been transactional in the technology sector. The other thing I think that's been interesting from a technology perspective is it provides us tech professionals, us with some pretty interesting challenges. And so in order that we keep up with the deal landscape and the taxation of tech, and particularly where those platforms sit across jurisdictions, it's provided us with additional challenges 
and some quick learnings have been required in relation to how we deal with those. The other thing I think that Aki touched on that's been relevant, but also in the context of doing a deal is that the technology in its own right has provided us the ability to do deals, I guess, remotely. It's also provided us with different means of communication and it's done things like dragged otherwise technological dinosaurs like myself into the new world and it made us able to engage in technology as a means of making sure things do get done. Heidi, from a European perspective, what do you see are the challenges and opportunities of digital technology in the transaction space? And are more deal makers growing more adept at using data analytics? And how are you seeing this affect deal making and due diligence? If I look at our M&A tax due diligence work in transactions, I would say we would predominantly use technology currently in the tax modeling of the implications, tax implications of our due diligence findings and also the tax implications because of the deal structuring that we are advising on and which is a very useful tool to really understand the financial impact of a tax in this deal situation. But I think there are more opportunities to come and for example, in the due diligence area itself, it would be helpful to have technology tools analyzing the information that we gather in the data rooms and also to do some benchmarking. However, the challenges in this regard is the provision of consistent and also detailed information that makes it possible to do such data analytics in the due diligence area. Howard, I know the US has led in many aspects of this, so perhaps you could bring in some of the themes and observations you have from your market. Technology has transformed how we advise our clients, how we perform diligence, how we model, perform our quantitative modeling, all aspects of the transaction process. And the technology sector has led the rebound in M&A activity. I think an important aspect of this is that it's not just the technology sector. We see across all industries where companies are, are merging because of technology needs, it, because they need to scale up to get the appropriate resources and, and sophistication to address the technology needs. We're seeing mergers between financial institutions. And one of the key purposes for the transactions is to better position the entities from a technology perspective. So I think it's driving every aspect of the transaction market. Arco, coming back to you, we've spoken before about multidisciplinary approaches being increasingly in demand by clients. Are you seeing other disciplines becoming more important in many tax works, such as transfer pricing and international tax? And if so, how's that playing out? I think one of the key challenges that clients face nowadays is that the M&A markets are extremely competitive. There are more funds, more companies that want to buy an asset than there are assets on the market. So that drives a necessity to early on identify value creation opportunities. So that means that in the value creation discussion, and that is becoming increasingly important for our clients, tax also should play its part, it should play its role. And that means yeah, that uh, much earlier on than in the past, we need to have discussions, okay, what are the opportunities from a taxation perspective to improve uh, the position of the target, to identify opportunities that will generate cash tax in the future, to improve operational taxes. 
the identification of that is something that it needs to be done much earlier on than in the past. And that drives the necessity to earlier on in the transaction to involve specialists from other disciplines in order to make that assessment. And Heidi, is it similar from a European perspective? Are there any points of difference? I fully agree with Arco. It is very important to understand upfront what the setup of the target is globally, internationally, what the allocation of functions of the several entities are and what the value chain actually is and means from a tax perspective. I think, therefore, we usually connect with our specialists in the transfer pricing area and international corporate tax early on to identify opportunities, but also potential risk areas that there might have been in the past. But in addition to that, I would say what is also important is to look at indirect taxes. I think that is something which might even grow in importance in the future. If we will be faced with digital services taxes, if we are faced with environmental taxes on specific flows of goods and services, So I think since they are not only focused on the profit at the end of the day, but rather on flows of goods and services, any risks there could quickly trigger large amounts. And therefore, I think it's very important also to have specialists on board who can identify such areas of risk and opportunity for the deal in a very quick way so that we can deal with that outright in the transaction. Speaking of risks, let's look at some of the significant trends in in tax legislation, including audits and disputes. Are you seeing an impact on M&A activity or or deal structuring within your clients' organisations? Angus, can I come to you first? Yes, certainly um, across the region, let's take each of those things in turn. So if we talk about legislative reform, it hasn't been in any way homogenous across the region. The region in its own right is very different. And I think the thematic that's most relevant as everyone is watching to see what happens with BEPS. But in addition, what we had just before COVID was in a number of jurisdictions, the proliferation of anti-avoidance regimes. And so that came to pass and then COVID arrived. So legislative reform has slowed. Some of it's been touted as coming back as economies start to recover and governments realise that there is a point at which they need to start to deal with the tax base in a constructive way that allows them to pay back any stimulus debt that they've incurred, but in addition to that, not stifle the economy. What's been really interesting and continues to be really interesting is the way tax administrations have conducted themselves during COVID and now are conducting themselves post-COVID. There's been a general acceptance by most tax administrations across the region that there needed to be a less rigorous approach to tax collection and at certain points in time, the escalation of disputes. That is definitely starting to reverse. And in particular, it's starting to reverse in the context of where there's been stimulus measures in economies and governments feel that those stimulus measures have been taken advantage of, the the tax administrations are now quite focused on ensuring that those, I guess, stimulus measures were applied and claimed appropriately. And at the moment, in the context of actual day-to-day M&A, it's not having a large impact. But for our M&A clients, it's certainly an impact on their portfolio companies and how they conduct themselves with those portfolio companies. And Howard, what about in North America and in the US? Yes, given the change in in administration and in Congress, the legislative branch, the expectation is that we will have meaningful tax reform in the U.S. And the tax reform will be significant in terms of tax planning for transactions. 
And I think it's important to note as well that in the U.S. we don't just have a federal tax, but we do have 50 states and numerous local jurisdictions imposing all types of taxes, uh, of course, from income taxes to taxes measured on receipts and asset basis. So I think certainly it's a very fluid situation, but we do expect meaningful tax reform. We also have regulatory changes as well with the new administration. And I think I could certainly envision that impacting the transaction market as well. So a lot going on, I think, from the federal perspective, from the state and local perspective, all of which I fully expect to have a meaningful impact on the transaction market for sure. Thanks, Howard. We're running short on time, so I want to move on to some predictions for the future. I'd like to come to each of you to tell us a bit about what you're expecting to see in the years ahead in your space and your region. Arco, can I start with you for a global perspective? If I need to use two words for describing how the future will look like, it would be value creation. But if we take a look at what our tech leaders of our clients need to do in order to get prepared for what is happening in the world around us, is we, we are at the eve of significant disruptive changes in the way that globally operating companies are taxed. I think a number of people on the panel already referred to the changes that are potentially gaining momentum. It's not only about corporate taxation, it's also about environmental taxation that is quickly gaining traction in terms of acceptance. So already being aware of all these potential changes, what it has in terms of impact on your existing portfolio companies, but also from a perspective of how does it impact future transactions that a company would want to do or a fund would want to do. So being aware of the impact of these changes is already something that will be extremely challenging. And in that respect, I think the ability to think in terms of scenario modeling, I think the quantitative impact assessment is something that becomes increasingly important in a world where there's much more moving targets. So the ability to be a credible spokesperson, a credible colleague, a credible deal professional, will be quite important for a tax professional. Heidi, anything to add? First of all, I expect a lot of future deal flow for two reasons. First of all, because of a lot of liquidity in the market that needs to be invested cleverly. And on the other end, because of the tendency to adapt business models to the new regulatory requirements, specifically in the EU, with view to environmental protection and decarbonization. On the other hand, I think that drives opportunities, but tax will also take its bite because all those COVID relief measures needs to be financed. And therefore, I think we will see a tightening of tax laws overall in Europe. And we will also see, as Arco just mentioned, new taxes in the area of environmental or digital uh, services area. So I think there's a lot to do to review in deals and transactions to understand how tax takes its bite, but also what opportunities to take out of such a deal. Thanks, Heidi. Howard, could I come to you for your predictions? Yeah, I, I would echo much of what we've heard in terms of the U.S. transaction market. We are working with our clients routinely in terms of modeling out and from a qualitative perspective, trying to understand and project the impact of tax reform on transaction structures and ultimately on deal valuations. So I think that's keeping us very busy and uh, very much uh, uh, 
a high priority of our clients, whether it's in the private equity space or strategic. I think also as companies revisit their supply chains, the tax implications of changes in supply chains will be very much in focus in the near term post-COVID. And again, in the U.S., we also have potentially regulatory changes that will impact the transaction market and how transactions are executed. And I think we'll have a particular impact on certain industries. And we're starting to see that play out now in the U.S. So I think on all dimensions, uh, regulatory tax, supply chain operations, all of this needs to be addressed through the transaction planning and quantitative and qualitative analysis. Great. Thanks, Howard. And last but not least, Angus, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think we're all in howling agreement in relation to deal volume, the impacts of deals and the impact tax reform, whether it's near term or medium term is going to have on our clients and how they invest. I think it's a really interesting time to be in business because I think things like supply chains will change. But in addition to that, it's a super interesting time to be a tax professional in an acquisitive or a a dollar vesting organisation because you are now needed to be a bit of a crystal ball gazer and you need to then think about the context of social and responsible investment. So I'm I'm excited about the next few years in relation to being in M&A and what M&A holds for us in our region and I think globally. Thanks, Angus. At the beginning of this podcast, I asked you each to provide one word to describe the current M&A transactions environment. So now, can I ask you the same question, but looking to the future, what do you think are going to be the most important things for M&A transactions in your region in the near future? Let's start with Howard. In one word, liquidity. Thanks, Howard. And Heidi? Environmental challenges. That's great, Heidi. Thank you. Angus? I'm going to use the two words. I'm going to say dynamic and diverse. Excellent. Thanks, Angus. Anarko, what about from a global perspective? Value creation. Anarko, can I ask, do you have any closing thoughts on the landscape overall and any final takeaways for our listeners? Just a couple of closing observations. I think it's fair to say that everybody in this panel is sharing the same optimism around the M&A markets. We are already in a bullish time and it looks like This bullish times will continue to be there around for the next period to come. I think in addition, we will see restructuring activity in parallel as a driver for additional M&A activity. So to couple that with the regulatory and legislative changes that are upcoming, I think will make life for M&A tax professionals extremely interesting challenging and fascinating, but the same will apply for our clients. And I think we at KPMG are extremely well positioned to help our clients navigate through these difficult times. So really looking forward to be an M&A professional for the next coming years. Thanks, Arco. That's an excellent place to conclude the podcast. It's been a fascinating discussion and you've given us a lot to think about. On behalf of our listeners, I'd like to thank you all for joining us on the podcast today. Please let us know what you think about this episode by emailing tax at kpmg.com. And we'd also love to hear from you with any suggestions you have for future episodes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>